back once again for the Renegade Master. It's the football <laughs> film cast. Andy Gillard here returning to discuss films after an unexpected extended break. Here to celebrate or commiserate when Saturday comes. Through the magic of the internet, I'm sat here with Stu. Hello. And I'm sat here with Matt. Aloha. How are we coping, lads? Good, good. Um, I'm going to look forward to unlimited exercise. I can't wait. <laughs> 24 hours in the park. Yeah, 24 hour park run. <laughs> yep, that's it. Stu, are you okay? I've just got to the stage I don't care now. <laughs> I've got to that. I, can, I just realised I'm not going to get back to work this year. That, so there's a just, good chance, yeah. Literally just being paid to just piss about at home. There's worse things. I mean, that's almost what I do anyway. So, yeah. But anyway, let's move on. As ever, just to warm ourselves up for a film chat, we'll stretch our brain muscles with a quick question. What is your most unpopular film opinion? Stu, would you like to kick us off? <laughs> you can just see it in your eyes, the, the, <laughs> the fear and anger building up. It has to be that, trans, that Michael Bay Transformers films are absolutely excellent. <sighs> Matt, opinions on that? <laughs> um, I, enough, well, I've only ever watched them either A, if I'm hungover, or B, if I'm drunk, like in, in some form of alcohol involved, it's just a bit of a popcorn, no enough, you know, Sunday afternoon film for me. I haven't really looked into it that much. It's, it's, they're always kids' films to me. I haven't really watched them with that much of like, uh, and enjoyed them that much. I'm sorry about that, Stu, mate. Was, was Transformers a thing for you as a kid, though? No, so I think I was just, I think I was, when were the cartoons? Were they like Eight. late 80s or It early, was 80. Uh, Three was it eighty four when it kicked off something like that it was mid eighties. So yeah, no, that was way. I was more um, Power Rangers, I guess, a little older than that, or, or into like Pokemon and stuff like that. So it was Stu, but well, true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah you I know my opinion. They're a... awful. I mean, that, I can I fully accept that they are awful films, but I've bought all of them and they're all over there. I was one saying that on a audio podcast yeah. um they're all in the in the glass cabinet all 3d versions of every single one of them for the absolute perfect effect um of carnage and chaos and moving parts for the best spot you know with 10 hours worth and the rest <laughs> <laughs> oh it's, anyway it's just it's it's nonsense that i enjoy way more than i should yeah very much so matt what is your opinion your unpopular opinion, sorry. My, my unpopular opinion. When I was in my early teens, everybody used to gush over the film Donnie Darko. And I just do not rate that film one bit. I am I with you 100%. Oh, oh, there we go. Maybe it's not so unpopular. I just don't get it. I just don't, no. I, I just don't see the major... I don't see the mass appeal to it. I think it, it tries to be clever for the sake of being clever. I just don't get it. I don't think it's a very good film. I never have. I never will. I've seen it in my teens. I've seen it now in my thirties. Just don't get it. I'm no. Sorry, just don't get it. For me, it's just like have you ever seen Butterfly Effect? Yes. Yeah. I think that's a better film because that mm. knows that it's appealing to the lowest common denominator, mm-hmm. whereas Donnie Darko is trying to be highbrow and it's just a bit shit. It's just boring. Agreed. Agreed. The bit in the Butterfly Effect, where, the bit in the Butterfly Effect where his arms are off. That's uh, oh yeah. That traumatised me for ages. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know. I probably I, I can remember watching it for the first time and thinking, oh, this is the coolest thing ever. Just because it was all weird and different and the, I hadn't really seen anything like that before. But mm. then, like Matt said, when you watch it again and you watch other t- films since, it's... It doesn't stand up, does it? It's like... Uh, have you seen Memento? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Great. Memento's better than... Yeah, Memento's better than Donnie Darko. And it's equally as weird. Yeah, well, it's um, Christopher Nolan, so immediately that's yeah. just streets ahead of anything. My unpopular opinion, and Massey's going to hate me for this. Oh, here we go. Tom Hanks is just an average actor. <laughs> like, genuinely, like, you see him in anything, and you never think, oh, he was shit, and you never think he was phenomenal. You just think, oh, yeah, he was okay in that film. The last time I saw a film of his and was properly moved by his acting would have been Philadelphia, which was 93, which he won the Oscar for, and rightfully so. 12 months later, he then won the Oscar for Forrest Gump, which just isn't a very interesting film. (laughs) (laughs) No words, mate. I've got got no no words, mate. Why do you have to break my heart? (laughs) If if I was in front of you, I'd kiss you on both cheeks and tell me you broke my heart. Because it's, that's, that's, that's just upset me, that has. But, you know, you're entitled to your opinion, mate. I, I respect it. <laughs> Not very much, but I respect it. Thank you very much. Right, so when Saturday comes, it's our first listener request sent in by friend, uh, friend of the fan cast, John Maley. And to find out a little bit more, our very own Matt here went to speak to John. We've picked this film, um, as we know, it's got a bit of a cult following and you've talked about it for years in conversations that we've had. So what is it about this film that you enjoy and what kind of got you into this film in the first place? Can you remember where or when you saw it first? Yeah, I can. Um, So, yeah, first thing to say, um, I I think it's a really brilliantly accessible film, you know, regardless of of who you support. Uh, You know, a lot of Wolves fans, including yourself, um, really enjoy this film and um, it was actually a big Everton fan who introduced this to Okay. So that, that in itself says a lot. So, you know, in our flat, in, in so I went to university in Liverpool and there was me, a uh, Forest fan, there was a Wolves fan, uh, a Tottenham fan and an Everton fan. And we all watched it and we all really, really enjoyed it. But not for what you may, <laughs> not for what reasons that you may think not mm. because the film's brilliant i'll be honest you know if you're looking for an oscar winner it's not yeah. that. but just for sheer enjoyment and pleasure and understanding of the game mm-hmm. i think that in itself it makes it a really good film so we watched it in our flat on smithdown road in liverpool and uh yeah we would you know we've spoken about that it was like 10 years ago and we've spoken about it you know yeah. much every week or any opportunity where sport films come up when Saturday comes does come into mind. Well, it's funny that you say that about um, it not being like an Oscar winner, because you are right, to be fair, but (laughs) it's some of the themes in it and some of the way that it is put together that means it still relates now, even though, you know, it's clearly defined by its time, by some of the conversations they have. But what do you think about the film has meant it still holds relevance to you and you enjoy it now, 20 years on? Absolutely. I think that's it. I think today, because everything is so polished and there is such a, you know, an, an access into media libraries of film and music, you know, at the push of a button. What's brilliant about when Saturday comes is that naivety um, and, and there is an insight into 
you know, it's clearly it's set in Sheffield. It, it's it's the Roy of the Rovers story of Sean Bean who goes on to play for his boyhood club, Sheffield United. But it's everything else around it as well. And where Billy Elliot Sean is an example of, you know, really demonstrating yep. what life living up north was, the mining strike, all that. This sort of does that. Mm. And it, it, but it's enjoyable in the sense of where it falls short. It's budget, isn't it? It's clearly budget. Um, and But that in itself just makes it really fun. And I'll give an example of that. I'll expand that point. So that there's a scene where, you know, Jimmy has to knuckle down and he, he might not have got the trial that he was looking for. And he's with Emily Lloyds, who plays the girlfriend who's, you know, fallen pregnant. And they go to look at a flat together. And it's clearly meant to demonstrate that, Jimmy, that this could be as good as it gets. You know, you don't yeah. get the, the move to Division One or Premier League, whatever it was at the time, Sheffield United. You might end up just playing in the lower doldrums of the Yorkshire League. But the only thing to kind of showcase that is that the couch is turned upside down. In the <laughs> <laughs> to refresh memories, the film cast is here to rank every football-related film based on the five pillars of what makes a good football film. The cultural impact, the footballing authenticity. I always stumble when I say footballing authenticity. <laughs> football stars, the film itself, so the story around the football, and your overall enjoyment of the film. Obviously, I've got to warn you, we're operating under a spoiler alert, so you can either go and watch the film on YouTube and come back, or listen to us and then decide if you want to give it a go anyway. So when Saturday comes, which I keep calling any given Sunday, I keep getting them mixed up for some reason, even though it's the uh, wrong sport. It was released March 1996. This was the year Bill Clinton was re-elected. Pokemon, whatever that is, was introduced to the world. In the UK, we had Mad Cow Disease and Royal Divorce. Best of all, Nintendo released the N64. Did we all have N64s, lads? Oh, I did. God, that was that was the that was the console that got me into gaming in the obsessive way that I am now. I love that console. Everything about it. There's yeah. games that I go back to now and replay on like the rare replay collection all the time, like Banjo Kazooie and Conker's Bad Fur Day and stuff like that. Oh man, what a console! Stu, N64. silly question. N64 came out in March '97. Over here, just for clarity. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Remember, they had, they had um, Nintendo 64 all around the uh, Premier League pitches for ages. I don't really remember and that, to be honest. If you, watch, if you watch Premier League years, which is on every day, um, wait till you get to 96-97 and the, you just see Nintendo, or the Nintendo all N64 around the pitch, especially behind the goal. It's amazing. But, yeah, I never had one. Mark had one. Um, so I, it's the one thing that I played the games on there. I didn't really play it that much. Which, which is, it's one surprised of, at that. Yeah, I, I was all in on PlayStation at the time. So, in the footballing world, Wolves finished twentieth under Mark McGee. We spent six hundred and fifty thousand on a goalkeeper that never actually played for us, Zelko Kalach. Shocker, Man United won the Premier League again. But let's be honest, nineteen ninety six was the year that football came home. England hosted Euro 96. Uh, this is the one reason that Gareth Southgate still should not be allowed to manage England. will never be <laughs> forgiven for that night, unfortunately. Uh, Matt, I spoke to you before. You don't remember Euro 96. No, I was, um, I was six or seven when the tournament happened. 
Sorry, Stu. Um, <laughs> and what I, what I do remember really, really fondly, I've you look back at it now in retrospect and some of like the really key moments like Gaz's goal um, and Stuart Pierce. But there was a Pizza Hut advert for years afterwards where it had like um, Southgate and um, and Batty and Pierce when they talk about him missing the goal uh, and missing the penalty and it just sticks in my mind for so long. I don't know why. I'm gonna have to look up this advert, but my first kind of England football experience was France '98, and when I cried when uh, when we um, when we went out, it was quite sad to think back. Terrible. Stu, what was your favourite memory of uh, Euro '96? The uh, Holland game, because I, mean, I was so used to England being shit mm. uh, quite often, and be. The expect, I mean, there was so much expectation then because it was only like the second season I really followed football properly. I mean, I do remember, it, I was talking about this yesterday to my dad, and that Italian 90, I remember bits of, but I don't know if that's a kind of like a forced memory because I've seen so much of it since. Yeah, same. Um, yeah. But I remember, I remember 94 because we won there. <laughs> um, so Euro 96 was the first time I got excited for something. And then how it started, spoilers for people watching on TV Hub. Um, <laughs> How it started, and thinking, well, this is just what it is to be an England fan. But then to absolutely obliterate Holland like we did in that game, I, it sticks in my mind more than pretty much any other England game mm. I've watched since. And that was a good Holland team as well that we beat that night. It was fantastic. I think my favourite memory would have been the uh, Stuart, P- Stuart Pierce exercising the ghost of missing the penalty, the way he screamed at the uh, the, the fans in the stadium. You'd yeah. terrified if you were sat in the stadium. It was, oh, it was incredible. Yeah. Anyway, on to when Saturday comes, uh, which sounds something like this. If you could have been a footballer, you'd have been snapped up by England schoolboys two years ago. Yeah, shaky little get. I don't need to go down your career's office to know how you'll end up. Morning, Judge. Morning, Jimmy. What time of day do you call me? What? I'm nine minutes late. Who's that ball, mate? You can forget about getting your leg over with a... Uh... Who come out with me? Well, I don't know if my husband would be too happy about that. Are you married? No, no, as long as you're okay. So you'll come out with me then? I'd love to see you play sometime. Ken Jackson, coach for Allen Football Club. We're looking for a good right winger. Another brilliant performance there tonight, laddie. He was here tonight, huh? Ooh, Tony Curry wants to give you a trial. Jimmy, it's your trial tomorrow. You want to make it a quiet night? Good point, Jimmy. Thank you, Paris. Seven large wishes, please. Where's that bloody hell of you been? You smell like a brewery. Get out, son. You couldn't have caught it up better if you'd have tried. Is this what you want? Strippers and boozers? Huh? No, sorry. You're selfish. Potential no. Right, let's kick it off with Footballing Stars. Stu, do you want to start it off? Discussing any... There's Tony Curry, but I only know that because his name's on a stand at Bramall Lane. Oh, it is, isn't it? That, that'll be where we know it from, right? Yeah, so I wouldn't, I don't, I've obviously never heard of him other than that. Um, because I've been going to Bramall Lane so many times. You see it on the back of your ticket. That's that's all I know. There was no one else. <laughs> I think Tony Curry was um, he was part of Don Revy's Leeds, if I remember correctly. 
so I vaguely think of when I read The Damned United, I think he's mentioned in that, but he's not not exactly a name, is he? Matt, have you got anything, any opinions on the footballing stars? It's hard uh, to find, isn't it, this? I gave it a one because you didn't give me the option to give it a zero. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's the only, No, the not really. I had, I, had, I had heard of um, Corioni because one of, my, one of my friends, Chris, is a diehard Sheffield fan. So I had heard of him before, but it's certainly no goal in terms of having Raul and some of the, the, hit, the hits. I'm going to compare this film to goal a lot, by the way, because I love goal. Um, um, and it, it obviously doesn't have the same repertoire and same CV and casting in, in that film but I, you know, I, I think and we'll go on to it more if it had mega superstars I don't think it would have played into what the film was trying to do anyway so no, I don't necessarily yeah. think it was a bad thing No, I, I gave it a 1 1 out of 5 purely because there was one player in there and his name was Mel Sterland and he played the captain of Sheffield United uh, he was a former Sheffield Wednesday player Ooh. in his career. Yep. So, yeah, he was former Sheffield Wednesday player who was then brought in to play the captain of Sheffield United. So I'll give them one point just for the shithousery right there. Yeah. But that was, that was basically all there was. It was, as Matt said, I don't think it was needed and it possibly would have detracted from the story had they have brought in any superstars. Not that Sheffield United in the mid-90s would have had any real superstars, I suppose. So that, that's quite a low-scoring round to kick it off. Uh, let's move on to the film itself, which I think is really where this comes into its own. Um, there is actually quite a decent story there of a, a young man who's got the world at his feet, but he's more interested in the partying and drinking than he's knuckling down and, and, and moving on with his life. Matt? What do you think of the the bits around the football? So, if we're talking purely like the story and the and the plot driven side of it, I actually really enjoyed that. Um, as the film started, I, I I thought to myself, "God, this is dreadful." And he's going to. But then the story really gripped me. Really <laughs> gripped me. Um, the second it kind of started exploring the relationship between the brothers and their dad, and the history repeating itself, kind of thing, it it, it got me. To be fair. And that I think they, they say uh, all the best cowboys have daddy issues. And that's exactly what was going on in this film. Like there was, it, it's relatable. It, it didn't become just a rags to riches story. Then the, the plot actually had a bit of depth to it. Um, and then they, they started exploring the family a little more. So I actually really enjoyed that. The, um, some of the different plots that were going on for, in the film. And I won't give them one of the major spoilers away towards the end in case people are going to watch it. But um, yeah, there was actually some surprising depth to it considering this is a rags to riches football story. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I went into the film expecting it to be something of a lark, thinking, you know, maybe the full Monty meets Mean Machine. Mm-hmm. It would be more comedic, but obviously it, it's not... I mean, whilst there's a couple of moments of levity, the majority of it is about a tough northern upbringing, you know. It's, the, the dramatic beats, I felt, really hit home. Like you say, not wanting to spoil a couple of the moments... But it wasn't done for the sake of just doing it. it. There was a plot there that used those dramatic beats to forward the story. I thought it was really well executed. Plus, Pete Postlethwaite's in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, what an absolute legend that guy was. And such an underrated actor. I don't think he was given the the, the props that he deserved in his life. I mean, I know he ended up working with Scorsese, who gave him glowing reference upon his uh, on his death. But 
Yeah, it's always nice to see Pete Postlethwaite in a film. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Stu, what have you got on the uh, the film itself? I um, I liked it until he got a second trial, and then it turned shit. <laughs> um, but again, for, for for the same reasons that you've said that it, I hadn't watched it since. But I, I remember I watched it in the build for the first time in the build up to Euro two thousand, and I'd never seen it before then. Mm. I never watch it in the cinema. I never watch it on video or anything else. Um, and I remember it being on before Euro 2000 or The Great Escape and all the usual things that they put on. And um, I watch it, and even the, at the time, I thought, this is decent. Because all the stuff that they were talking about, and I know there's been criticism and oh, it's sexist and all this stuff, but it was the 90s, and that's exactly how things were. Yeah. Uh, things like, I was, even I think when I watch it then, and even more now, I mean, I was. My dad was manager of Wentzfield at the time the film came out, so I've been around the changing rooms and stuff when I was like 10, 11 years old. So that, them kind of characters and that kind of stuff, I'd been, there's no, no reason, no excuse for me to drink at 12 years old, but um, I've been used to that kind of banter for the, my whole life. So it resonated with me because I knew people like that. And it was like, well, oh, this is actually quite decent and not what I expected. I agree with you, Stu. It, when it becomes a football film again at the end is where it fell short for me. Believe it or not, like when the, the, there was like a Rocky montage almost. The song that they play on the montage is back on my feet again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, it lost it a little bit for me then. The thing, you're exactly right in what you said, Andy, as well, about um, going into it thinking it's going to be a bit more of a comedic film. Um, it, it, it does its own comedy unintentionally by some of the really like slapdash things that go on like emily lloyd's accent um <laughs> and um like the first the first scene the music that they've got while um, he's doing kick-ups in the street i thought it was i thought we were watching the chernobyl documentary because it's like <laughs> some kind of eastern european kind of violins and strings i thought have I, i've got the right thing on here am i watching mm. am i watching something you know completely different but there's the silly things that proper made me laugh in it as well, like the stripper with the Sheffield United tattoo. That the, killed me, that did, yeah. The, the tattoo must have gotten wet and grown in size or something <laughs> when they painted it on again or something like that. Um, and it, it's not a very well-polished film in that sense, but again, it just adds to that kind of rough and readiness of it. It's You're not watching a Hollywood blockbuster and you know it because of some of the things that you see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look yeah. at films by, like, say, Mike Lee and Ken Loach, who obviously do the kitchen drama, kitchen sink dramas based in, in the UK. And tonally, it was quite similar to that. Obviously, they don't, and I know Ken Loach did uh, Looking for Eric, but they don't really touch on football, generally speaking, do they? But I, I thought that was quite impressive from this director, who, when I've looked into her back catalogue, doesn't seem to have done anything else. This is the only film she's got. There's one in 2001 called Hunger, which I've never heard of. And she's got a film due out next year. But obviously, whether or not that comes to fruition, who knows? So I was quite surprised because this looks, to me, it looked like an, a fairly accomplished debut movie from a, a director. So I was quite shocked at that. Yeah, I'm amazed that it was made in the mid-90s as well. It, it looks like it's come, it come straight from the 80s, half of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. About... Apart from the um, the massive X Files like suits that everyone's got on for no real reason, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's things like the um, the page three reference as well, right at the start, and mm. like oh, you give her a go and think, oh, this, this 
they are real people. You can relate to them as as it was at the time. Mm. You can. I mean, which I think that that's why I gave it a four out of five because I thought this was probably strongest category for me was the actual film. It was just the football really was what led it down. The the story just pulled it through, and I thought that made it a, a watchable film. Uh, but like, just as Matt had pointed out regarding Emily Lloyd's accent, originally she was scripted to play a northerner. Doesn't say what kind of northerner, just a northerner. But the director felt that the northern accent wasn't good enough, so decided to change it to Irish. I would like to know how bad was her, nor- <laughs> her northerner accent because they thought that that Irish accent was acceptable. I thought she was Eastern European at first. Like, this is fucking terrible. And then when they said I was Irish, I was like, that's even worse. Why did she just use a normal accent? I mean, where was she from? London. She's a Londoner. Well, she was an outsider anyway, so that would have made yeah. more sense. It, it makes sense because that character needs to be an outsider because she needs to be pulled away from Yorkshire. So it would have made more sense to just leave her talking as she does. Bit of a strange one there, I thought. She could have gone back to London as, as the script. That would have made perfect sense. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, it was a bit baffled with that one. But yeah, otherwise I, I did enjoy it on that score. Um, but yeah, I think if we have a, a quick break there and then we'll come back with the uh, the rest of the show. Hey, it's David here. Now, I know you. You love a bloody good website, don't you? Look, come on, you do. You like a good website. If you're on your phone, you're on your computer thinking, I want to see a bloody good website. I'm going to go find one right now. If you want a bloody good website and you want one for yourself, for your business, why don't you go check out our sponsors, pixelyetimedia.com. They don't just do websites, of course. They do loads of different things for your marketing needs, such as design work and brochures. And they do our website as well, wallsfancast.com. It's a really good design. We're really pleased with the work over at the guys at pixelyetimedia.com. So, again, you're looking at some websites, you're thinking, oh, I really want a website that looks that good just for me and my business. Why don't you go check them out right now at pixelyetimedia.com. Dot com. Right, okay. Um, <clears throat> back to the footbally side of things on this one. Footballing authenticity. I'll start on this one. I thought the Sunday League stuff looked okay. Because generally you have, in the Sunday Leagues, you've got one player who's a bit of a standout, and then there's a bunch of cloggers. You've got someone who's often forced to go in goal who doesn't give a shit. And I thought they showed that okay. It kind of fell to pieces, as you've already said, when they went to Bramall Lane. The stuff with the trial just looked so bizarre. The fact that they were having a trial at Bramall Lane, I thought, well, (laughs) surely you do this at like the local leisure centre or something, not on the pitch where the players are actually going to be. I thought that looked really odd. Uh, Also, once it got to the match, I, I sort of get that the players give shit to the new guy and they didn't think he was quite up to standard but quite how 45 minutes of football means that oh he's okay to take the winning penalty against <laughs> Man United how has he earned that much respect that was just a little bit too Hollywood for me and I, yeah it was 
middling, I think, is the best word for it. Sunday League was okay. Championship or, or well, it's FA Cup, wasn't it? Was not for me. Stu, what are your thoughts? Um, well, they don't have nets in the Sunday League, which wouldn't be allowed for starters. Yeah, um, <laughs> which is a weird one. But yeah, it's the same thing when the um, the bit with the keeper not paying attention and just <laughs> down into the abyss. I thought, yeah, I've played on teams like that where that's been me on times as well. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there was. Harry just walks into the players' entrance as well. He gets a Bramall Lane. <laughs> uh, no one says no one says things. Oh, I'm just, I'm a trial. You don't give his name. They say, yeah. okay, well, there's your kid. Yeah. It could have been anyone. Uh, I know it's the mid nineties and no one cared, but even so. Um, but yeah, it's that whole thing just seemed forced. The whole the professional football part just seemed forced. I mean, it probably was. I mean, if they only had, you presume they did it like they did with goal, like after the game or at halftime or something like that for the actual. Crowd scenes, um, but I'm pretty sure that that, the, that keeper was an actual Man United keeper. Oh right, okay. Think, he looks familiar. I mean, I, I had Pilkington in my mind for some reason. I, I, that's probably completely wrong, mm. but I recognise his face. I don't think he ever played for United, but that's just from sticker albums and stuff in, at the time. He looked familiar. No, but, well, I'm not sure about that. But I did like how they with that Man United team as well. How they no one was, they didn't pretend that they were people you know. So everyone in that world was just completely different people. So it yeah. kind of blended in a little better. Yeah, it made more sense. Yeah, you know, it made more sense than getting superstars that you, everyone knows. Um, that was the one, the only plus point for the professional football bit for me. Mm. Um, otherwise, it was as bad as it usually is. <laughs> yeah. Matt, what, what do you think to the, uh, the authenticity of the football? pretty poor to be fair I mean you, you, you hit the nail on the head really about the Sunday League and then um, having kind of the working men's club kind of vibe like I've been in working men's clubs like it actually felt really quite genuine like kind of the team banter and all that kind of stuff so I thought up to that point was fine and you know it didn't um, it didn't really have the benefit of goal uh, you know in maybe the technological advances of having you know quite as many cuts away and making it look a bit more exciting than it was like the football itself it was kind of him just bumbling over the ball and walking past people that were kind of stood still until he scored his goals in yeah. the majority of the goals he scored but you're right when it got to like the, the, the upper echelons of, of his playing career is when he started to fumble and you've got to look you've got to ask yourself really now I don't know if if back then this maybe would have been more normal, but why on earth was a first division team looking in the Yorkshire Sunday leagues for a thirty plus year old winger? Do you know what I mean? Like it just <laughs> what's what's who's like what scouting level would he be on Football Manager? Do you know what I mean? Like it made no sense whatsoever. Like and people will make the um, people will make the the obvious link to like a Jamie Vardy story, um, but. It's just it's too far fetched to 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 be realistic and to you know what's the, what's the phrase they use in wrestling uh, suspension of disbelief. Mm. It's too it's too far fetched for that, and I think it just it makes it seem a bit more laughable than it does kind of serious because there are a lot of really serious things that happen in the film. So mm. football authenticity wise, not so good. I think I gave it a two maybe. Mm. Um, yeah, not great. But you say that you say that though, but Ali Deer played a Premier League game for. 37 minutes <laughs> off the back of a phone call. Yeah, but it was a phone call from George Weyer 
but that was in inverted <laughs> commas just for listening. <laughs> yeah. um, Except, so it, it was the it was the 90s and weird shit happened. So yeah. I, I gave it a pass on that one because you think, well, we found Michael Kirtley playing for Grays <laughs> for 70 grand. Yeah. Mm. But, but the one thing how, I know. How old? Sorry, Stu, carry on. I was going to say, how, how old is Sean Bean? Because he's he 61 the, now, so he would have been mid 30s. Yeah, 61 now. So. You, you can't tell how old anyone is in that film. They're northern. It, that's all you need to know. They all look about the same it, age. <laughs> there's, two, there's two people in there who are actually in Coronation Street together now as a couple. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, thought, I saw them. I thought that. Madness. Yeah, see, another fan there. He's just yeah. not as vocal as me. Yeah. I, I'm watching it through. I'm watching Coronation Street. They're through Gogglebox. I'm hooked on uh, the story <laughs> the, that's going on. So, uh, and the, I probably won't show Omnibus now. Well, now I'm locked down. <laughs> Get on. You're on your own there, lads, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I noticed during the football, everyone who was playing, they all looked about 45. Yeah. There was none of them who thought, well, you could play. They all looked like they were just well past retirement, which looked really bizarre, I thought. And the other thing that really pissed me off, right at the end when they had the penalty, they showed the board and it had it was the 89th minute. And the commentator said, this will be the last kick of the match. Yeah. <laughs> there were four goals in that half. There was an injury and a penalty. There's a, and it was, man, it was Ferguson's Man United era. So there'd have been at least seven minutes worth of added time on there. So that just pissed me off. I don't know why, but that really got me <laughs> that one, dude. It's funny Piss as well, because another thing that got me like that was the second we know he's signed, he's straight into the first team. I'll be on the bench. I just expected some reserve game where he impresses or something but nope straight into straight on the bench straight away just thought it was strange but to be fair it, how 90s did he look in that umbro jacket with the the the, vert, the two vertical zips either side of the the chest bone that was like a proper 90s knacker that was the, the second you most out <laughs> i had the umbro one which was um the black and navy blue jacket i had that one Sorry, mate. I, I had to ask because there was one jacket in that film that made me think of you straight away. Um, Russ's jacket that he gets bought, these American style oh. jacket. And I thought to myself, <laughs> I, there's a man that I know that would have that jacket <laughs> and wear it every night of the week if possible. Do you own that jacket, Stu? That kind of thing I, I've never worn, never owned ever. I've worn them before, but I've never actually owned one. I mean, look around. Well, Oh, this fetching dressing gown that I'm wearing now. It's yeah, obviously there is a yeah. It's it's a bit of a mix between like Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat and something. If I say Arthur Dent, do you know who that is? From <laughs> from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, there's there's a certain mixture of those pair there. It's um, it's quite the looks, Jim. Yeah, that, that umbro jacket though, the um the two zips thing. I had it where you had, there was a bit of. Um, material linking the zips together so you could just pull it straight down and it came off. Yes, I remember that. Because that was the jacket that everyone who played football in the 90s owned, one of those, didn't they? Or, yeah, or a variation the, of Umbro. Yeah, they had that, and they had, um, which I've still got upstairs somewhere, um, a Mizuno drill top with the, uh, the weird V. <laughs> yes, was it the one, it was like a coarse material, it wasn't a jumper. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. Like, yeah I had that. 
because it was when Bully was sponsored by Mizuno, I believe. So yeah, I went to, and got one of them. Like a good Wolves fan, like every good Wolves fan in the 90s should have had. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's, Mizuno. Well, yeah. Right, uh, let's move on to the cultural impacts of this film. Matt, what, what do you think the impact is, <laughs> if um, any? <laughs> well, actually, you know, thinking back... Um, once I'd, once I'd finished watching When Saturday Comes, I thought, you know what? I reckon Goal has literally looked at this film and stolen and, and like really stolen some elements of it because <laughs> it felt really, really... There was some real... Maybe it's just a cliche of what you would do in a Rags to Riches story, but it just felt very much like, actually, they've taken some of the elements of this. He's a selfish player that needs to learn how to play within a team. Um, he, 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 he gets hooked by fame and that, and that kind of element. He has his big redemption um, and then at the end of the film gets to play for the team, not necessarily that he loves in goal, but for the team that he aspires to play for and has a, and has a fantastic winning moment. So there's quite a lot of parallels there, really. Um, the only kind of impact culturally will be what Sean Bean goes on to do, I guess. Yeah. Um, I don't know how early, you know, uh, had Sean Bean done Sharp by this point? Yeah, oh. Sharp was, was it late 80s to early 90s? Actually, maybe even extended. Was it nine? Okay, so he'd done Sharp, but I think before this film, he'd done it. He'd been in Bond, or maybe Bond was just after this. This might have been his first sort of proper feature that went to the was actually had a theatrical release. I think. Yeah. So obviously, he has gone on to have the career, hasn't he? I mean, you look obviously Boromir in uh, Lord of the Rings and Ned Stark, Game of Thrones. You know, he's been in two of the biggest franchises of the last, well, of all time. So, really, the cultural impact is from the, the main man himself, I think. Stu, what, what have you got? He was in Silent Hill as well, remember? That's the uh, the main one you have to see. You've never <laughs> seen Silent Hill? No. It's Honestly, actually one of the... For gang, as gang films go, hmm. that one's actually really decent. See, because I saw... The first two, I think, of Resident Evil. Oh. And they, they were shit, so I just never bothered with Silent Hill because I assumed it was going to be the same thing. No, it's it's more of a psychological horror than anything else. Um, you'd actually probably enjoy it. All right, okay. But, I'll uh, add and that the, to uh, the, the uh, Sean Bean death curse, <laughs> it, almost, it almost hits him. It almost hits him <laughs> with his brother. Um, before all that stuff starts, but I, I forgot all about that happening. Mm. When he's, and I thought, oh no, that's the, I, I, I don't know how that that key moment of the film just erased from my mind. Um, but that's but the, the bit genuinely pivots on. Yeah, I was genuinely shocked. <laughs> it, I, it's been nearly twenty years, and I've drank a lot since then. But even so, yeah. it's pretty major, isn't it? To be honest. But yeah, I mean, for me, it was, I remember a lot of people, the same thing, a lot of people talked about it just straight after it came out, and then it had a lull again, but it was like the whole, there's a lot of people in this film who were in the full Monty the year after, so yeah, they kind of, they kind of got linked together just through osmosis in a way. Yeah, I mean, Um, the full Monty's got something of a legacy that still gets referenced quite a bit, to be honest. Whereas I, the only time that people have ever mentioned when Saturday comes to me, 
is when I've said to people, oh, I will do a podcast where we talk about football films. It's not something that seems <laughs> to have much of a, I don't know, it just doesn't seem to have made a lasting impression on, maybe it's just the people I know, but it, it just doesn't get bought up as something worth watching very often, which is surprising because it's a decent British flick, especially for that period of time where English films were, you know, very hit and miss. I think there's an element of, cause, because it's aged pretty badly from just like a, uh, from what Stuart mentioned earlier, kind of its its language and kind of some of the things that they say. Obviously, you wouldn't expect to hear now. And and yes, it's actually just a microcosm of the time, and it probably portrays it really well. But I don't think like when you got so Mike Bassett, for example, that's clearly aged, but the comedy is still relevant. It's still funny now. Whereas um, I think that's probably why it hasn't got uh, quite the lasting appeal, and it's more of a cult a cult film than it is kind of a uh, you know something that people across the land have seen. But I think if people give the film a go, I think they'll be really pleasantly surprised by the depth of the film and how much actually, oh, this isn't a bit of a throwaway kind of just football flick as a lot of them are. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, it's, uh, was it 100 minutes or so run time? And it, I've got to say, I thought it went through at a decent pace. I never once looked at my watch to see how long's left or anything. It's... Uh, you know, it flowed through. It kept did keep you hooked. I thought throughout. Yeah. So yeah, I thought it was decent. But yeah. Um. Okay. So, have you got any other business? Anything else that you wanted to mention about the film? I've got a couple of points I wanted to bring up that don't quite fit elsewhere. Matt, have you got anything else? Um. The <laughs> one thing I thought was bizarre in. You know, you'd never describe the film as like art house at all. <laughs> <laughs> but the sex scene was so more graphic than it needed to be. <laughs> I thought, I just thought to myself, like, what is going on here? Like, why is this? Why isn't it a quick fumble under the sheets that probably would have made more sense than this loving naked embrace with Sean Bean's ass that we see far more than we probably need to in this film? <laughs> I just, uh, you know, I don't know if he had some sponsorship deal on his ass or something. To, but, um. I, the, the sex scene just stood out like a sore thumb in just like some kind of art housey yeah. way. I'd, I'd agree with that. It, it kind of reminded me of the room, but it was it was longer <laughs> oh. than it should have been and a bit more intense than it needed to be. Yeah, mm, for sure. But yeah, anyone exactly. who hasn't seen the room needs to see the beginning. <laughs> Do we get two sex scenes in the first like twelve minutes? It's something absolutely ridiculous. Especially <laughs> as, as he's clearly having sex with her belly button, which makes it even more weird. But yeah. <laughs> Stu, any other business, mate? I was literally just going to say it's like watching the room again. That section, <laughs> and it, it's it's almost like when, when the first time I watched um, the first Terminator film, and you have the sex scene there, and it goes on, and it's more graphic than the it's completely out of place compared to the rest of the film. <laughs> and it, but it, this has got to be the, probably the only football film that, that I can think of where there's a bit of breast <laughs> that's clearly visible, and they don't try and cut away from it. <laughs> um, was oh, what was that one with Samantha Janus? Wasn't there some full frontal in that the the rugby one? No, no, was you want to see her ass? Oh, I've paused that, that film several times. <laughs> I don't think I've seen it since it was at the cinema. To be honest, but God, that's a very nineties name. That isn't Samantha Janus. I don't think I've seen her in anything since then. And oh, Game On! I used to love Game On. There's no way that could be made now, though. 
<laughs> but they don't show it anymore, do they? No. Oh, God, no. Yeah, un-PC would be the uh, the term for it, I believe. Mm. Uh, yeah, so my any other business, right? So a couple of factoids. The director, Maria Geis, I believe it's pronounced, she wrote the film alongside her husband, James Daly, and it, apparently it was based on his life. He had a trial with Sheffield United, went out the night before, got hammered and woke up next to a stripper. So that's where it came from. Yeah. The original working title was A Pint of Bitter, which is a fucking dress. (laughs) I mean, like when Saturday comes isn't the most evocative, but A Pint of Bitter. Awful. And also uh, the final fact, it was reported in 2017 that a sequel had been written by up-and-comer Dino Jones, who I've never heard of. And when I looked on IMDb, there's a blank page, so I'm guessing it never saw the light of day. It was supposed to be set 21 years after this film, uh, where Jimmy's life had gone off the rails. Apparently, a couple of years later, in 2019, James Daly, the husband of the, the original director, said that he was working on a final draft with Dino Jones, but nothing's been reported, and... To be honest, that they'll probably struggle to get any uh, any funding to make the film. Yeah. Um, so just before we move on to, to round it off, I read an article on Little White Lies, uh, which is a, a monthly film magazine, and they discussed this. The title was, is this the most authentic football film ever made? Obviously, it drew comparisons <laughs> with Jamie Vardy, a player who was supposed to be having a biopic made, but that's gone very quiet. And I'll be honest, I don't want to see a film about Jamie Vardy. I can't imagine it would be particularly yeah. interesting. Uh, so the critical response, as with anything pre-internet, it's quite difficult to find reviews of, of stuff from this age. But I did find one that I felt summed it up quite well. Uh, it was from Empire Magazine. Uh, it says, footy fans rest assured that when Saturday comes, is entertaining. Postlethwaite is thoroughly convincing us Muir's trainer and being clearly relished his brief chance to play for his boyhood hero, Sheffield United. Laddish for sure, but touchingly human at times and with a leap out of your seat ending that is every bit as air-punchingly gratifying as it is predictable. It was a three stars, which generally seems to be about the average. IMDb's got a 6.0 fan score. Rotten Tomatoes has got a 65% fan score. There's no Metacritic data, but generally the reviews are all around either three stars or, or six out of ten mark. Overall enjoyment of the film. Um, Stu, do you want to start? What Your overall enjoyment. Would you recommend it, basically? I'd recommend it more now that I've watched it again than I would have done before this, mm. this whole thing. Um, man, it's a... For just for being a time capsule more than anything else, though, um, and as a decent 90s, I mean, it could have been a, a ITV drama for three quarters of it, which yeah. is no bad thing, yeah. of course. Um, we had Pussy Frost and things at the time, um, but it was I enjoyed it more than I expected to, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I'd, I'd go with that as well three, three out of five, six out of ten, that kind of range. I mean, it. It's not the worst film in the world, but it's it's not the best. Yeah, I, mean, I gave it a four out of five. I, I went. I realised that whenever we do this, I just basically say I hate every film we watch. <laughs> so I went into this expecting it to be dog shit, and actually, 
I really enjoyed it. Yes, it's very conventional. It hits all the cliches. It's all the tropes. It's predictable at the end. But as I said, there was a heart to the film that pulled it through. So that's why I went a little bit higher than yourself. Matt, what are your opinions on the uh, the overall? Um, well, first of all, to your first question, yeah, I would recommend it. And this was the first time I'd ever seen it in preparation for this podcast. So I didn't have I didn't have the the luxury of like a, a nostalgic feel watching it kind of twenty years later or however long it had been since it was released. Um, the, the the like I've mentioned before, the plot definitely pulls it through the football side of the film. The football side of the film was a bit of an inconvenience to the great plot, to be fair. Um, and you, you called it when we spoke to each other like the MacGuffin. It's just the thing that drives the plot as opposed to actual. Um, it just keeps it ticking along. But yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed it. And I think um, it was heavy enough that it pulled on the heartstrings, but it wasn't so heavy that it, you know, it took you out of the world and out of the the football inside the plot. I think it marred together really nicely. Again, you know, I'm not going to rush to watch it again tomorrow and I certainly wouldn't buy it on Blu-ray if they had it. But it was, you know, I, I enjoyed it all the less. And, I, and I'd, I'd probably give it between a three and a 3.5. Out of five, I think. I mean, for a film that you can watch for free on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say, you know, there are, there are worse ways to spend an evening than watching that, personally. Uh, but, yeah, so we've tallied up the scores, or I've tallied up the scores, should I say. I gave it a 15 out of 25, which is quite high for me. And, surprisingly, it's the highest of the three of us, because, Stu, you've gone with a 12, and Matt, you've gone for a 13 out of 25, which gave it a 40 out of 75 overall. So the overall percentage was a 54%, which puts this third in the table. So Mike Bassett and Goal were above it. Mean Machine's rock bottom. I don't think anything's going to get that, <laughs> there, to be honest. Um, yeah, sorry, Ben. Yeah. I think the reason this is so low really is because of the actual football inside. Yeah. Because there is none, <laughs> if we're honest, you know, that's that's very much the weak part of the film. So, yeah, there we are. Third in the table out of the four. Um, but yeah, as I said at the top of the episode, this is a fan requested film. If you've got any films that you want us to have a look at, just drop us a tweet at WWFC Fancast. Give us a follow whilst you're there. Uh, we're also on the Gram, Pinterest, Facebook, MySpace, Face Party, yeah, everywhere. Uh, so let's wind it up with a film recommendation. I was going to ask for what, your favourite. Face... face party. That's a, that's a throwback. I know, yeah. I was waiting to see who was going to clock onto that. <laughs> of course, it was going to be you. I, I, I met my ex through face party. That's why. I don't even know what it was. I've just heard of it. You know the, um, you know the one that we, we met in the Gifford? The scary one? Yes, yes. The, the, yeah, because it's tall it, lady. Yeah, the tall lady. Yeah, we, we it was it was an early version of what everything else is now. It's just, it was just another social media site. All right. It was before before Facebook. So you put your things in, you could you could find people through uni and through sports and things like that. Um, and she was through uni because she was a, she was here. <laughs> that, I, I actually Goldie used it as well. I think. I'll have to have a look see if it's still around. I'm, I'm... I've heard, like I said, I've heard what? of it, but I've never been on it. Did um, my profile's probably still there? <laughs> did you guys ever dip your toe in Habbo Hotel? Habbo oh. Hotel, no. Oh, man, you, you need to give it a Google. Seriously, like anybody that's around my age, 
um, sorry, um, were literally like, have a hotel was you control this little avatar that lived in a hotel and you had your own room. And it's kind of the very first kind of FIFA Ultimate Team points kind of thing. You could buy credits to furnish your room. And it was a ch- it was chat rooms where other people came into your room um, and you furnished it however you <laughs> wanted. And you had these little avatars that you could dress up as stupid as you want. And they were like public areas. And it just became this mad chat room thing where like I had a, a room that was like kitted out like a rock nightclub. I <laughs> know, <laughs> oh, yeah, Habbo Hotel. There's got to be people listening to this that um, that used to use it. I don't think we're on Habbo Hotel. If this if there's a demand for it, Fancast Habbo Hotel, <laughs> I'll start it up. Let me know. I like the uh, thought that the you Lord. just made the Gifford before uh, before we could go there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, yeah so- the Laura's have mentioned that before on revisiting. They mentioned Habbo Hotel before. I'm sure they have. It was class. It was brilliant. Remember. It was absolutely brilliant. Loved it. It's a new one on me, that one is, I'm afraid. Uh, so, yeah, we'll end it with a recommendation. I was going to rec- ask for our favourite British films, because obviously this being a British film, but then I realised I would just be mentioning Shaun of the Dead again, so it was pointless. Um, so let's go with your favourite film from the 90s, or a couple, maybe a couple of films you've got from the 90s that you enjoyed. Matt, do you want to start that one? Well... Andy, I was going to defend Forrest Gump um, <laughs> after the step, but I'm like, no, I was going to, I was going to, but I, I think I, I talk about Forrest Gump on nearly every podcast I, I, I'm ever on, so I'm not going <laughs> to. Um, one of my favourite films from the 90s um, would be Natural Born Killers, um, directed by Oliver Stone. Um, mm. Really gratuitously violent. Um, it, it was originally a screenplay by Quentin Tarantino, but it got heavily, heavily edited. Um, Woody Harrelson and Juliette Lewis is in it. Robert Downey Jr. is in it. Tommy Lee Jones is in it. So there's a decent cast in there. Um, but it was kind of the first film that I'd seen when I first watched it that really kind of took on Americana and TV and um, ripped it to shreds, really, and talked about celebrity as a negative as opposed to a positive. Um, essentially, the world goes mad for these serial killers um, and they become celebrity and it, and it really critiques that. Um, mm. And it's, it's funny. The characters are lovable, but they're murderers. They're anti-heroes. It's just a really great film. And I, I, if anybody is after, you know, um, a gory, bloody watch that actually has a really interesting story, I'd, I'd recommend it. Natural Born Killers. Yeah, that, that's one that's been on my list for years, and I've just never got round to it. But it does sound very much like, have you ever seen um, God Bless America? Bobcat Goldthwaite film. I haven't, no. Maybe Good. maybe we can, maybe we can I'll watch it as soon as I can, you watch it as soon as you can. And uh Stu, you watch the both and come back to us. <laughs> yeah, see what you think. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen either. The, yeah, um it's uh, I think it's in two thousand and ten, I think was um God bless America. And it's it's very similar. It's about a couple of people who go around killing people, lambasting celebrity culture. But yeah, but no, um, Natural Born Killers, I will make a note of that and definitely try and uh, get through to that one. Uh, Stu, what are you going for for your 90s recommendation? This took me hours to think of this because pretty much every, but 90% of films on my, on my top films list ever is from the 90s. So, I mean, you have things like Home Alone, 1990, but you can't get that because everyone watches Home Alone. Jurassic Park, obviously that for Dave. 
Um, but I even had Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas for something different. But I thought, well, something from the 90s that I've watched more than anything else is mm. going to be The Matrix. I know it's yeah. creeping in in 99, but yeah, the first say, Matrix yeah. film. Yeah, same, same year as uh, Phantom Menace. Amazing. And that was never going to be on this fucking list, ever. No, no. Um, <laughs> you wouldn't believe they were the same age, because you look at the CG in Phantom Menace, and it looks 20 years older than it does, than mm-hmm. The Matrix does. It's ridiculous. Going pod racing. Exactly. Pod racing scene. <laughs> pod racing scene looks worse than Xbox 360 graphics. Mm, it does. Okay. It's that bad. Um, but yeah, have you watched Matrix 2 and 3 now? That you, you've had for months? No. We're in lockdown for nearly eight weeks. I know. Uh, I've got no excuse. I just haven't got round to it. I'll, I'll keep <laughs> finding other things to watch. I watched Bad Boys the other night. That was great. Um, and yet, the, I watched a film which is going to be one which I'll be mentioning now called Wild at Heart. I watched it last night. and It's a David Lynch film. So it's obviously out there. It's Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern. I don't want to say. Oh, yeah, I've seen this. It's just fucking weird. I I, I genuinely watch it and I'm like, in the first 10 minutes, Nick Cage caves someone head in, gets sent to jail, comes out, and then bangs Laura Dern, like within the first 10 minutes of the film. It's like, and this is the normal bit of the film because from there, (laughs) it just goes wild. Like, I I, I say, I don't want to spoil it. I don't fully understand it at the minute. (laughs) I'm still processing it. It's. But that's one of the things with David Lynch films. I think they are ones that generally stay with you and you need to work through. So, uh, yeah, Wild at Heart. Uh, if you want something a bit more conventional from the 90s, Heat for me. Um, Pacino, De Niro, Michael Mann directing. Sorry, not Michael Mann. Uh, Brian De Palma was, and it was Heat. Belting film. Two um, actually... Sorry, Stu, carry on. Is, is Leon 90s? I was, you just took the words out of my mouth. I was literally just about to say, Leon, can't believe it. Um, yeah, it was 94. Yeah, I think in 94. You know, I've never seen that. Yeah, it is. Gary Oh, man. You haven't seen, you haven't oh. seen Leon? I don't think I have. Oh, man. Incredible film. Try, if you can, to watch the um, like the director's cut version, if you can. Okay. Um, it's got an extra couple of scenes that kind of highlight the relationship between uh, Matilda and Leon and, and it a bit bit more a bit weirder than like the original release um but yeah great film isn't it Stu, to be fair yeah genre now at his best is this the one where they've got that epic uh car chase is that leon or have i got that confused car, no, there's no car chase is there a car chase in it yeah there, it's not epic it, there is a there is another bit he means but it's not you're thinking of um that's gonna that's gonna bug me now. Because I remember seeing was, one, the talk about it. Because isn't it two normal cars rather than high powered sports cars that you tend to see in car chases? Because I'm sure I've seen it in like you know these those lists of the best car chases ever, and that's that's in there because it's a bit more normal looking. I think yeah. was the uh, the reason for it. You'll uh, I think you'd really like uh, Gary Oldman's um, character in that as well. Really, really, really excellent um, film. Mm. Gary Oldman's just superb there. But yeah, I think we'll leave it there then, lads. Um, so yeah, just want to say thank you for joining us. We've got. You're thinking. You're thinking of. You're thinking of Ronin. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking of Ronin. Yeah. Yeah, you're not thinking of yeah. 
yeah. thing in a row. That's it, yeah. Uh, yep, so we've got some other pods lined up for you. We've obviously got Hoops' new series, Stories from the Pack. We've got the Alternative Hall of Fame that, uh, that Dave's running. And Richie's working on something special at the moment that we'll hopefully get out to you soon. Uh, so, Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Goodbye. Stay safe, everyone. Stu? Stay alert. And from me, I'll be back. Any man comes between me and that bastard, I'll kill him. What an idiot. What a dirty little Dutch buffle brain bastard. I'll run his pox crown up his royal pox darts. A blue-blooded twat. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. You fat bastard. You're a suspicious fellow, Richard. And no mistake. And you're a Scots bastard. Come on then, you yellow bastards. What are you waiting for? Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.